0: Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Hi, everyone. Again, my name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey, outside of Philadelphia. Um, I have been in O.A. since 1994. However, my current abstinence is from January 2011, so it'll be almost 10 years. So you can see there's a little bit of a gap there. Um, just to qualify, my top size was a size 24. Um, in the early my early 20s, where walking up a step of stairs, I could, couldn't catch my breath um, from the extra weight. I've also been a size 2, where I got underweight, lost my period, was losing my hair, and couldn't walk up a flight of stairs because I had no... I was still malnutritioned. I've also been a size 10, which is what I currently am now, um, as a bulimic, binging, purging, and over-exercising to the point I couldn't walk up a set of stairs because my body was just so out of whack from the bulimia. Um, And the reason I say that is because there's no good part of this disease. I mean, it manifests us on on many different ways, and I was just as insane binging as I was starving as I I was in in my bulimia. Um, And when Vincent asked me to do this... Um, I, I really like to talk more about topics than my story, so I asked if I could speak about step three, which ironically starts right after the reading of how it works that you did. Um, so, what brings us to step three? Um, I have to take. I have a conclusion in step one that I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. Um, the clearest way I ever heard it explained was by an AA speaker, Sandy B. Um, and to put it in compulsive overeater's terms is I am a compulsive overeater if I can't eat my binge food safely, which means I have an allergy of the body, that I cannot reasonably predict what happens when I ingest certain foods, ingest certain ingredients, or engage in certain food behaviors, and I cannot be abstinent contently. And that's the larger aspect of my disease is that I can't get comfortable abstinent. You know, that I get restless, I get irritable, I get discontent. And I really had to see for myself that my unmanageability wasn't about being just in the food. My unmanageability was my everyday life, unable to live life on life's terms while not eating. And once I come to that conclusion that I am powerless, the natural consequence is I need a power. And then I'm propelled to step two. And one of my prejudices was I'm a Catholic school kid. I went through 12 years of school, you know, Catholic school. Of course I believe in God. I don't need this step. I needed it more than, than ever because my problem was my beliefs in a higher power. I believed in a punishing God. I believed in a God that was going to, was looking for me to screw up so he could punish me. So I spent most of my life trying to hide from that power. So step two is not about a belief in God. It's coming to the conclusion that I need a power greater than myself. And if honestly all step two was a belief in God, then honest we don't need the steps, right? We could have a pamphlet. Who needs a book? You know you're powerless. You need a power, believe in God, boom, you're done, go off and go off and be happy. And so that conclusion of I need a power is going to propel me to step three, which is the decision Turning A decision to learn how to find that power. That last line that, that was read by Don in um, in How It Works was that God could and would if he were sought. So step three is a decision to seek that power. Once again, my own prejudice, I thought I could do that at step three. Once again, if I could do that at step three, don't need steps four through 12. I can just turn it over. I need a pamphlet to tell me to do that, and I'm done. What step three is, is letting me know that I need to seek that power. And how do I seek that power is through doing the rest of the steps. So pages 60 to 63 were so essential to me because it proved to me that me being the manager of my life, I suck. I suck at it. The consequences I have experienced over and over again in my life while I was eating and while I wasn't eating was showing me that I'm a bad manager. So I'm going to make a decision to learn how to do that. I actually don't turn my life and my will over to a power until I get into 10 and 11. So basically, my concept of step three was Santa Claus, right? I'm going to give God this laundry list of things I would like him to accomplish today with which people and in what order. And when it didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen, I would, quote, unquote, take my will back. So what I would do is turn over this list to to Santa Claus, and if I did, you know, if I was a good little girl, I would get presents under the tree, and if I wasn't a good little girl, I was going to get coal in my stocking. So what does Step 3 teach us? I'm a big book student, so we're going to talk about this out of the big book, is pages 60 to 63 confront me with what is life like when Kim is in charge, and what I found is it's a crap show when Kim's in charge. So on page 60, it talks about the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives were good. And I have to tell you, I always think of, I'm a visual person, so I think of a visual of going to a state fair and playing bumper cars. And you're in there and you're just banging into people wherever that you turned around. And that's what life felt like even though my motives were good. I'm the oldest of three kids. i got to take care of my little brothers. I'm going to be a good big sister. But all I'm doing is just playing God. I'm just trying to make things happen my way. It talks about on the top of 61 that everybody, including myself, would be pleased if only things would go my way, Um, that I can be kind, considerate, patient, generous, and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, I can be mean, egotistical, and selfish and dishonest. Either way, I'm trying to manipulate it. You know, I think many of us come in and say that, oh, the problem is that we're people-pleasers, and that's a very martyrish way of saying it. What I found from doing this work was when I was people-pleasing, and I'm going to call out Vincent since I don't really know one else in the meeting, that I would say, Vincent, can I help you? But really what I was saying was, Vincent, can I manipulate you so you do what I want so I can feel comfortable? Or I would say, Vincent, can I help you Meaning, Vincent, can I be nice to you so you can tell everybody else who attends the kitchen sink meeting what a wonderful person I am? Or most likely in my case, I would say, Vincent, can I be nice to you because I'm so terrified. If I'm not, then you're going to tell everybody in the kitchen sink meeting what a bitch I really am. So I really wasn't a people pleaser. It was a way for me to manipulate life. And because I was being kind, considerate and self-sacrificing, I thought it was better than when I was being a jerk and trying to bully people into life. Either way, my problem is I'm not comfortable. That's my initial, my, my real issue. Sobriety is so uncomfortable, I have to manipulate it. And then on page 61, there's these series of questions that we ask ourselves. Are we like this in our life? And just to skip ahead, I personally love these questions in step 11 because step three is telling me what is life like when I'm run on self-will, which is the problem. Step 11 is showing me what's life like when I'm driven by a power greater than myself, and which I choose to call God. So if I go back in my step 11 and I read these step three things and I'm identifying in with step three, that tells me exactly where my work is. That tells me where I have to do a 10, where I have to do 11, where I have to use the inventory skill set of four through nine to get three, or I'm going to eat again. So it says here what usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. I begin to think that life doesn't treat me right. I always like to put this in first person so I know that it's my story. I deserve, I decide to exert myself more, more gracious or more demanding. He becomes angry, indignant, self-sacrifice. What is my basic trouble? Am I not a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? That's the people pleaser. Am I not a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well? That describes my whole entire life. I'm under the delusion that the problem is, which society tells us, is if I if I just work a little harder, pull myself up on my bootstrap. You know, there's a story in the back I hear quoted all the time, that living life on life's terms. And I heard a great twist on that because the guy said, no, the problem is, I my problem is trying to live life on life's terms. What is life's terms? Power, property, prestige, control. That's my real problem. What I have to learn is how to live life on God's terms. So this paragraph, that sentence specifically, is me trying to live life on life's terms. I'm under delusion that I just work a little harder. I mean, what does is, what is society tell us? If we're not feeling good, have more food, more booze, more drugs, more money. And the spiritual life is actually the opposite. I have to self-empty myself. i got I got to get rid of self, which is what we're learning here. Self is my real problem. And what I will do with wherever I'm struggling that day is I'll substitute that word world. Am I victim of the delusion? I can rest, satisfaction, happiness out of my mother, if only I manage well, out of a pandemic, if only I manage well. We just came out of the election season out of an election, if only I manage well. And the delusion that I can do that is why I'm in so much pain. And because I'm in so much pain, I need relief. And if I'm not working the steps, then I'm going to um, – oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do shoot um, – Sorry, my brother, using texting me. Um, oh, God, I'm sorry. Okay, so, is it not evident to the rest of the players that these are the things that he wants? Do not his – in fact, let me just tell you what's what's happening. My youngest brother is learning disabled, and part of this step three work has actually been that I've taken over his finances from my father, who's 83, and sheltered in place, and I have him on a debit card. So that I have him kind of controlling his finances and he just got an oil change, which means I now have to move money from his on his card into his other card. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to pay this. So let me move this into his Spend Anywhere account. OK, and that's living life on God's terms, even though I'm in front of you all. Um OK, so. Do not my actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can out of the show. So this is kind of like with my brothers again, is that being the oldest, I was always in charge. And what really annoyed me is not only when I stopped interfering with their life, did they survive without it, they actually thrived without it, which is where I have to do a lot of 10 and 11 work with how much this my brother can be independent and how much I need to be more parental with him because of his intellectual limitations. Um, and here's the one that always hurts my heart. Am I not even in my best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? So even when I'm when, when all my stuff is um, let me just put in money okay. Even when I'm doing things really well, even when self will is really working for me. I mean, I personally am an accountant. Um, what do you call a manager of an accounting department? A controller. I mean, it's the best job for me. I'm, I'm rewarded as in my job for what punishes me in my, in my spiritual life. You know, in my job, debits equals credits. Boom, everything is perfect. And you know what? The spiritual life is not black and white. You know, I have to learn to live in the gray. And that's what this is telling me is I can't do this on my own. So if we go to page 62, it talks about selfishness, self-centeredness. That is the root of my trouble. Um, we think this, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. So once again, sometimes I think we think of our, especially women, we think of ourselves as caretakers, and you know we're people-pleasers. We don't see ourselves as selfish because we're always putting our families first or, or other things first. And I heard a speaker say, if you have a hard time with, um, if you have a hard time with selfishness, think of self-consumed. And I have to tell you, that hit me between the eyes, because those of us who say, well, no, that's not my problem. I suffer from low self-esteem. What does that mean? It means we're thinking about ourselves all the time. We're just thinking poorly of ourselves. So we're still consumed with self. Out of a 24-hour day, I'm thinking of me 23 hours. And the other hour, I'm thinking about what are you thinking of me? I remember this cartoon I saw um, you know, that I'm in high school or something where there's two girls sitting on a beach and there's one girl walking by on the beach. And all three of them have bubbles above their heads saying, do my do my thighs look large? Because we are always consumed with what about us. We're thinking people are thinking about us. No, they're thinking about themselves and what we're thinking of them. And da, da, da. It, it, we're, we're in a society that way. And I'm driven by that. I have a little Jack Russell um, terrier sitting at my feet right now happiest little dog we're in the backyard happy joyous and free but if a squirrel comes in that backyard she's a freaking lunatic because she's been bred to get vermin and it's very specific to squirrels and she will go nuts in my backyard i have to realize as an addict that's my problem In active disease i could be going along la 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 and all of a sudden it's like donut and i am driven to get that donut but even as a recovered woman you know, I, I can sit in there and I can be okay and something will happen. I'll hear something on the news. I'll see a tweet on my phone and it's anger, resentment, fear. Being recovered doesn't mean I don't have anger, resentment, and fear. Being recovered means I now have a skill set of four through nine, which I implement in 10 and 11. I don't have to stay there. What used to terrify me for, you know, for four, uh, and last for four years maybe started to last for four months for four weeks, for four days. And I have to tell you, I am so grateful at night when I put my head on the pillow and I'm doing my 11th step and I think, oh my God, that thing that happened at noon today would have rocked my world four years ago. But today it wasn't even a 10th step because I didn't even get disturbed. Why? Because I am no longer living in pages 60 to 63. So it's talking about here, this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. That is my daily challenge. How do I quit playing God today? How do I quit playing that, um, you know, that I'm going to be able to control this pandemic? I'm working from home. Am I going to be able to control whether I'm laid off or not? You know, am I going to be able to control who wins the election? Am I going to get my way with that? So i got to quit playing God. One of the, the, the most challenging ones for me now is with sponsoring. You know, my job as a sponsor is to give them an adequate representation of this book and the steps, whether they choose to do the work, above my pay grade, above my pay grade. It's painful to watch people in pain in this disease, but at the same time I knew that it was only the food that convinced me to do this work, and I don't want to get in the way between someone and their step one experience that they need in order for them to do the work. So I have about, I feel I have about five minutes left, so I'm going to take this third step prayer, and I'm going to tell you what it means to me. Um, And maybe we can all say it together, whoever wants to say it together after that. Um, But I thought the third step was the third step prayer. And the third step prayer is just an affirmation of everything we talked about. I cannot manage my own life. I need to find a new manager. So I'm going to confirm that with this prayer. So it says, God, I offer myself to thee. Even love that, offer, no bargaining, no, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. That's how, I, that's how I, I always talk to God. God, I'll be a good little girl if you do this for me. To build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. I think of my dad who was a Marine, and when he talks about boot camp, he says they don't teach you how to be a Marine when you go into boot camp. The first thing they do is they rip the civilian out of you. And once you have no identity, that's when they build you up into the few and the proud. That's what this book has done for me. That's what the first three steps are Do They have told me that I'm powerless over food. They've told me my life is unmanageable, drunk, or sober. they told me that I need a power grade myself. They're teaching me that I cannot manage my own life. And now that I am broken, I die to self, and I'm built to the person that I was always meant to be. Relieve me of the bondage of self. I used to say relieve me of the bondage of food. That's step one. The food has died. I have accepted in step one, I can never, ever, ever, ever have those foods again. In step three, I'm dying to self. My problem is I'm always thinking of me. Relieve me of the bondage of self so I can better do thy will. The best way to think about me, not think about me, is to think about you. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would, those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Don't not take away my difficulties so that I can have a better life. But take away my difficulties so I can testify in a room. Yes, I went through a divorce and I was able to recover. Yes, I went through COVID 2020 and, was not, and didn't have to pick up. it. I went through sexual abuse, um, verbal abuse, um, death of a family member, and I was still able to recover. We can witness to that. We can't help people. We don't fix people. But we can testify what these steps have done for us. And just to end with this. Next, we launched on a vigorous course of action, which many of us had never attempted, though our decision was a vital and crucial step. It could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Step three is simply decision. If I don't follow up that decision with a four through nine inventory and take that skill set and implement it in 10 and 11, it's going to be temporary relief. My mother, who's in OA, used to call it the OA waltz, steps one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And what I have found for myself is when I did that, and I never went on and did the work, that my waltz was one, two, three, relapse, one, two, three, relapse, one, two, three, relapse. So I am so grateful for step three, which teaches me who I am in untreated compulsive overeating. And I'm so grateful that 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 conclusion brought me to finish the works, one, steps one through 12, so that I am recovered today. So I just want to end with I assure you that today I am a compulsive overeater, but I also want to assure you that today I do not suffer from compulsive overeating. And with that, I pass it back to Vincent. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are their own and not those of Operators Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. I will call on you and then you can actually meet yourself and ask your question. So, with that said, uh, we're going to hand it over to Nancy Lee for the first question. Welcome to sunny Los Angeles, my friend. What a beautiful share. Um, it's obvious to me that you have spent a lot of time somehow in the rooms of alcoholics and anonymous the minute you said Sandy B, you know. And so, what I wanted to ask is that there are so many people. Because I've gotten so many hundreds of phone calls constantly that are new, that are suffering and struggling, and they haven't been able yet to abstain or to get a food plan or to figure out what a program is, could you elaborate and spend some time just talking about the basics, about what you do on a daily basis, you know, what your program consists of, what prayers do you call people, do you have a sponsor, and could you share a little bit? About the relationship between abstaining, as it says, and the doctor's opinion, you must be completely abstinent in order to work the steps. Thanks, Nancy. Um, I'm, I'm not going to talk about what I do today because I think your question is what does a new person have to do, mm-hmm. and, that's a, and that's a different question. So, you know, you walk. I'm not. I'm not an alcoholic, but I did um, spend the first couple years in the AA rooms because the message. I, I needed that clear message. Um, but one thing that's different about AA and OA is when you go into an AA room and they say get sober, they, that, everyone knows what that means. But you come into OA and they say get abstinent, no one really knows what that means. So I think the first thing when you say get to the basics is that doctor's opinion, helping someone understand what their what their binge foods are, because there's 115 people in this meeting, and we all have the same definition of abstinence. We have to abstain from those foods, those ingredients, and those behaviors that create the phenomenon of craving. But what creates it in me may not create it in you, and vice versa. So the first thing I like to talk to people about is asking them what they binge on, I'm trying to find commonalities. I think it's easiest to get down to ingredients there are so many good podcasts out there. Um, I you know, try to keep some in my phone, so if not even with sponsoring, but if someone's confused, hey, there's this great podcast, why don't you listen to it and let's come back and let's talk about it together? Because once we identify what those binge foods are, what those binge ingredients are and what those behaviors are, we need to put them down 100%. Now, food plan is separate in the sense that abstinence is what you abstain from. Your food plan is um, how you arrange the foods that you do eat. We do have a great pamphlet called Dignity of Choice in OA, but I personally love when people will go to a nutritionist because I don't know because of your age, your medical conditions, your, you know, activities. I have no idea how much you should eat and when you should eat. But if people can't afford to do that or they can't get an appointment, I always tell them to pick one of the food plans out of, um, out of the pamphlet. Uh, And then, you know, once once they're putting that down, we, we immediately start talking about these these, these these steps. So I know for me personally, um, with my sponsees, I ask them to commit their food every day. Not because I'm monitoring their food, but I want that conversation shut down. When the food is loud, you can't focus on anything. So instead of having all day going, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Da, 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 is let's commit the food. Let's get that quiet. Let's, you know, I personally did a lot of food prep on Sundays. Put I, I personally weigh and measure, put a lot of well, extra Tupperware, put things inside, so I didn't have to think about it. When I had lunch, I pulled out a Tupperware starch, a Tupperware protein, a Tupperware vegetable. So that I find is is a very helpful to help someone create some structure. You know, I um. For example, right now, we're in a very virtual environment, so you can basically say, these are meetings that are good. Why don't you go to that meeting? Let me know what you have. I always give them phone numbers of of my sponsees who are recovered because I think it's important they hear recovered voices, so I encourage them to make phone calls. But once again, with the tools, one of the things I like to stress is the tools are to support the steps. The tools in and of themselves will give you relief, but they will not give you freedom. So just calling people and complaining about the misery of being a compulsive overeater, in all honesty, if that would have worked, I would have recovered in the all-you-can-eat buffet in my 20s because I did that all the time, complained about compulsive overeating. So to me, like I think it's just helping them create a structure, almost like a recovery ICU around themselves, especially coming into holidays, especially coming into the first this or the first that, helping them create that structure, but understanding. I'm going to use a Catholic school kid to sing again. I could always give up chocolate at Lent because I knew at Easter the Easter basket would have plenty of chocolate. And what I try to reassure people is, is that you have, it's going to be uncomfortable. God help me to feel comfortable about feeling uncomfortable is the, one of the first prayers I teach people. But I, But let me assure you when you get to step 12 that you're not going to want those foods anymore. But until you get to step 12, you need to create almost a recovery ICU around yourself, using the fellowship and the tools and the book going through the steps to support you while you're getting to working towards that spiritual awakening. So I hope that helps, Nancy. Thank you so much, Kim, and thank you, Nancy. Uh, Julie. Hi. Thank you so much for your share. Um, what's what do you do with a sponsee if uh, they're going through something that you don't have um, your own personal um, experience, strength, and help with? How do you guide them? You know, there's there's a there's a line in 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 um, working with others that says we um, let me see if I can find it. It says, having had the experience yourself, you can give him much practical advice. One of the things I stress for myself and others is the only experience we have in common is a spiritual awakening. So the only advice, practical advice I have is how to do the steps. So I don't even give um, sponsees advice on stuff I have experience on because my job is not to get them a relationship with me. It's helping them to get a relationship with God. So if someone comes to me with a problem, I will ask where they are in the steps If they're not recovered yet, I bring them to wherever they are in this in the book and talk to them about that to get them focused back on step work as opposed to the problem. Um, If they're recovered, then I ask them to do a 10-step and we can discuss it because their answers should be coming not from me but from a power greater than themselves. And I often will say, you know, because, see, abstinence sucks so much that when we stop eating, all these things that have been bothering us for 30 years, we suddenly think we have to resolve it now. And what I tell people is, you know what, your mother and you have had these problems for 20 years. My suggestion is focus on the step work. You can put them in a fourth step and you'll get your answers from a power grade in yourself when you start doing your step nine. So I'm someone that I kind of shy away from experience, strength, and the hope in the sense that I am not there to give anybody, tell anybody what to do. What my experience, strength, and hope is, like we talked about with take away my difficulties so I can bear witness is, I can share with someone how the step work works for me so that you can do the step work so you can find the solution for yourself. I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Kim. We have a question coming through the chat privately. Uh, the question is about sponsorship. And uh, in particular, could you talk about the importance of finding the right sponsor? Okay. I don't believe in that. <laughs> I think there's two qualities you need in this sponsor. I think someone who has absolutely gone through all 12 steps and had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And let's get this up in Um Oh, I forget. But, but the reason I'm saying that is I think we waste too much time. You know, I always remember that saying what I heard when I came in the room is find someone who has what you, what you want and ask him or her how he or she is achieving it. Well, what that meant was I chased the skinniest girl with the cutest boyfriend because that's what I wanted as a sick newcomer. So what I think is if you see someone who's had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, grab on because if if that sponsee does not want to recover, Bill Wilson can come back from the grave and they're not going to recover. If that sponsee has hit their quote unquote bottom and wants to recover, you could be Mickey Mouse and sponsor them. So as a sponsor, I actually don't worry so much about um, finding that perfect sponsee, and I don't tell sponsees to work up on that perfect sponsor because it's going to have to do more with the work that sponsee does. So if you are in, in disease right now and you hear someone who says they're recovered and they say that they've actually gone through all 12 steps and had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, I would ask them to sponsor you and understand that it has to have more to do with the work that you do and whether or not you guys relate to each other. If you're both married, both single, both have kids, in the same part of the country, maybe have the same cultural background, that really is irrelevant. What you want is someone who's had the experience of the step so they can share that with you. And whether or not they're they're perfect or whatever, I, I find is really really irrelevant. I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Barbara. Kim, thank you so much for such a clear, concise view of the steps of the program. My question is, how, it's about the spiritual path. How has your uh, relationship with your higher power, how has your relationship with spirituality changed? You say you were uh, devoutly raised and have gone on to a different uh, a different perception of your higher power. How has that changed being in the program? You know, one of the analogies I'd like to use is, I've never been married, but one of the analogies I'd like to use is, is marriage. If you get on the altar and say, I do, to your husband, and you guys never talk again, or you never work on that relationship, would that marriage last? I don't think so. So in, in your, in your answer, I think that's kind of what it is. If I just kept my relationship with a power as I did 10 years ago, I don't think I'd be abstinent. So it constantly has to change and it constantly has to grow. 10, 11, and 12 to me are not maintenance steps, they're growth steps. Um, I kind of describe myself now as culturally Catholic <laughs> more than anything because it's my upbringing, but I don't, I'm not a practicing Catholic. For me personally, it has grown more and more global. And I will give you an example um, that I really identified in. It was a picture I saw years ago, and it was a picture of the Last Supper, um, for those of you who are Christians. So it says Jesus in the middle and the the disciples on either side of him. But instead of the disciples, there was Mahatma Gandhi, there was Abraham, there was Muhammad, there was um, Martin Luther King, there was uh, Mother Teresa, I was glad there was a girl in there, um, so what it was saying was that these were all people to me that experienced page fifty five in the big book deep down inside each and every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. These are all people that have found the higher power within them, and then we all form dogma around them. I personally think of Bill and Bob being up at that table because they are spiritual people that found a path that worked for me personally. So what I have found as um, as I've gotten older is or more in recovery is, it's become more global i don't feel attached to certain names or things um for example recently um, i had read something that bud means awake and a buddha is an awakened person and since we are called a spiritual awakening i now have in my meditation room i bought a buddha because that just really resonated with me i want to be an awakened person so i have seen people who are devout become less devout in their spiritual life as they grew in understanding and effectiveness I've seen atheists become devout believers, and that has been their path. I've seen agnostics do the same. I've seen people who are devout stay devout. People who are atheists stay atheists. People who are agnostic stay agnostic. It's not the belief system. It's are we growing in understanding and effectiveness. So for me personally, it's become more global. I almost consider myself a spiritual mutt meaning that I will pick up any spiritual practice that resonates with me, and I keep challenging that thinking so that I can continue to grow. You have five minutes, Kim. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Barbara, for your question. Uh, Nancy D. Thanks, Kim. Hi. Um, my question is, what is your – if you can share about your experience, just in help Around Step 9, and what, um, how did your program and recovery, like, shift once you've finished your step nine events thanks i can tell you that once again i like to look at prejudices i thought step nine was just making an apology because i didn't want people to be mad at me where i wanted to repair a relationship so to me the the essence of step nine is doing four through eight thoroughly and once i did that inventory to look at my resentments my fears my sex conduct once i saw my character defects in six and seven Once I made that list and said, these are the people I had harmed, what step eight to me? I thought it was about getting people to forgive me. And what I realize now is that step nine for me is about freedom. So I live in Burlington County, New Jersey. I've always lived in Burlington County, New Jersey. The way I describe freedom is I can walk anywhere in Burlington County, New Jersey, and not be afraid of who I'm going to run into because I have made amends and I've cleaned up my side of the street, as they say. So to me, step nine is the question by Mark Houston, another great AA speaker. He was passed. Is how free do I want to be? So the more that I am willing to take responsibility for how I treated others and make amends, which means not just apologizing but making retribution to those amends, the freer that I am. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Bob M. Yes, thank you for your share, and thank you for your great description of Step 3 and what it means. Um, Do you have any of the names of some of those podcasts you recommend to sponsees or other people? Um, Well, just for traditions, I I would text me because a lot of them are just stuff I get on my uh, Apple podcast. Okay. But as far as LA, there's a meeting called The Vision for You which is in a registered OA meeting. Um, the website is www.avision4you.info. Uh, that meeting's been around since 2012, and there's a tab for special editions. Um, and there's a lot of really, really great um, talks there. You can look them up by if you have a favorite person or if you have a favorite favorite topic. Um, the other thing, I don't think this is breaking traditions, the other thing is just go on YouTube and just put AA speakers in there um and if you text me i can tell you some of my favorite ones uh but we are just so blessed right now with the number i i tend to gravitate more towards aa speakers myself um just i don't know i just tend to do that but uh i i don't want to break any traditions um so if you want to privately ask me i can i can tell you some of my favorite speakers thank you thank you very much thanks thanks kim um terry And thanks so much for your uh, share. It was amazing. Um, so what happened? Like, you did the, I guess it was one, two, three, relapse, one, two, three, relapse. So what what shifted for you? Step one. Like, I honestly was still treating, disrespecting way by treating it like a diet program. And when I got into this big book, and I specifically that doctor's opinion, and I understood that I had an allergy of the body that was never, ever going to change and I understood I had a mind that was always going to tell me it was okay to go back, I was screwed. I, I felt screwed. I felt frightened. I could not. There's a beautiful line on page 151 in the big book, or 152 maybe. It says, um, I, can't, I could not live with the food, and I could not live without the food. There's a line in Bill's story that says, alcohol was my master, and what I really saw in my powerlessness was my powerlessness in um, my sobriety. Was that food was my master, regardless of whether I was eating or not. If I was eating, the way I went to work was to hit those fast food restaurants. If I was abstinent, I had to avoid those same streets because I otherwise I was going to eat. If I was in the food, all social gatherings was was gathered around who had the best food. My babysitting jobs were picked by the pantry, not by the kids I was babysitting. If I was abstinent, I had to. My whole social life was around who where I could not where I could avoid the food. So I realized that I was screwed. That step one was not telling me not to eat. Step one was telling me I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat unless I have a spiritual awakening. So each step to me, when someone's struggling with a step, I often look for the step before. Because the way that this book is set up and the way the step service is set up is when you come to that conclusion that you need a power, you are propelled to step two. And once you come to the conclusion you need a power, you're propelled to step three. And once you see what life is like when you're, when you're, when you're not, don't have a connection with God, you make a decision, you're propelled to step four. And then you go through four through nine and you're propelled to take that skill set into 10 and 11. And once you have this message, you're propelled to share it with other people. So. That's time, Kim. Thank you. Okay.